0: Due to some technical difficulties on Sunday morning, the first four minutes of this sermon have been re-recorded. We are experiencing very hard times globally. Just a year and a half ago, uh, the world was rocked by Russia's invasion of the Ukraine. And just a week and a half ago, then it turned uh, to Israel. Those hard times fit with this passage and the previous passage, especially, especially for Christians, where Jesus said uh, that we will be hated by the world. And Jesus keeps telling them <laughs> that he's going to be leaving them. This is hard. Have you ever been left? You know, that feeling where you're left by, by family who, who go away and you're left uh, behind for one reason or another, or by friends, or that you're homesick, How do you, how do you handle that? Fortunately, Jesus is going to remind his disciples in this passage in John 16 of three important benefits to his leaving. And he's telling them so that they'll remember, remember, remember these. So those three blessings, disciples, you'll have, Jesus says, by my leaving, and it fits as our outline for the passage today. We're going to say there's three blessings Jesus gives amidst our tribulation. In verses 5 through 15 a chapter 16, the Holy Spirit convicts and convinces. Then the second point in verses 16 through 23 that we'll see is that our sorrow through Christ is turned to joy. And then the third one in verses 24 through 33 is that because Jesus wins, we win. Because our Savior wins and overcomes, we win as well. And our big idea this morning in the passage is that we need to be more willing to receive what we're given by grace than what we feel like we've earned. Be receivers, of what God gives us by grace and treasure that all the more. So let's start in the passage. And in verse five, Jesus tells them that because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. So when you see that phrase like that, these things, or, or therefore We want to look back. What was that talking about? And so that's the connection to last week's sermon, where Howard pointed out that effectively these things include being hated by the world. It is not easy to be a follower of Christ. And now Christ is pointing out that he'll be leaving them. Almost like the old song, you picked a fine time to leave me, Lucille. They probably feel like that a bit. But in actuality, Jesus speaks truth and we can trust him that even though sorrow is filling their hearts, that this is going to be for their good. So then we get to the first blessing that Jesus has for his disciples amidst the tribulation. And that's in verse seven, that the Holy Spirit convicts and convinces. Convicts and convinces. He says, it's to your advantage, to your advantage that I go away, that the helper otherwise would not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Here's, think again, verse seven, talks about the helper. And I've said that word helper is good, but we need something better. And really it's the Greek word paraclete because we don't have a word that quite fits it. It's the come alongside one. That's a weird phrase. But that's what the Holy Spirit does. He's the one who comes alongside us because we have hard stuff to live through. The Holy Spirit, the come alongside one because we have to live through hard stuff. And this is pretty much the last time that the Holy Spirit is gonna be mentioned in the Gospel of John. So there are four important things that I wanna make sure that we get with the Holy Spirit with a a paraclete that he provides for us. The first one is this, we've heard Jesus say that I'm going to send you another, another paraclete. Another meaning, okay, he was the first. He's the first one who comes alongside. So the Holy Spirit is doing what Jesus did, continuing what Jesus did. And he does that for us. Many times, I imagine many of you thought this yourself. At some point you say, well, if only I was there with Jesus or if only I was back there with the prophets and God spoke to me, and uh, then it'd be so much easier. Hmm, not necessarily. Look at how many people Jesus preached the gospel to and they said, no, I don't want it. We have the Holy Spirit now. We have the whole Bible revealing. We, in a sense largely say we have it better, because of the Holy Spirit with us. The second point for the Holy Spirit, we've, we've learned that He's the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit reminds us, clarifies what Jesus' teachings were, okay? If we hear the Holy Spirit tell us something totally new, That's different from what Jesus ever would have said, could have said, did say. I don't think it's the Holy Spirit. He's not going to pull a Joseph Smith and spin up a new religion. The Holy Spirit teaches the Spirit of truth what Jesus did. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit empowers disciples as witnesses Howard helped us see that last week. Amidst the hatred of the world, what an opportunity to stand as a witness, to stand as a witness. Not easy, not easy. Comes to mind still 20 years back or so, Columbine High School, the sad massacre there. Rachel Scott testifies, yes, I'm a Christian. And yes, those are my last words, empowered. To be a witness. And then the one for this morning is that the Holy Spirit convicts and convinces the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Very interesting passage here. So let's, let's focus on this one. This is our new one for today. And we're going to see in verses 8 through 10. In verses 8 through 10, there are three convictions that the Holy Spirit brings about for the world. Now that word in the Greek for convict, convict, is is generally negative in the sense of like, convict someone, shame them, that kind of thing. But along with that, there's still a positive side that when you're convicted, you're also convinced to repent. So Jesus is gracious in this. The Holy Spirit is gracious in this. To convict, but also to convince us to recognize our need, to turn to Jesus, and to stop being the world. Okay. So biblically speaking, we could say this. Whenever you are called to put off something, stop doing something, whenever you're called to put off, to repent, there's also a flip 180... Also a call to put on, to embrace something better. The child who is told to, hey, stop whining. Stop whining. There's implicitly a call to, why don't you have a thankful heart about the things that you have? It's not just a don't do, it's also a do. If you're on some sort of health plan, stop eating the cake and cookies and all that. Start eating of fruits and vegetables there's a call you want to stop this sin start doing this repent repent and embrace so here's where jesus is going in this he's going to or the holy spirit rather will convict and convince of the problem of sin the solution of righteousness and the consequence of judgment let's look at each one of those slow down there the problem of sin problem sin. The world needs to be convicted of the dreadfulness and lostness of what? What is the main problem for the world? It's not the climate. It's not the Panthers not winning. It's not the 401k that's dwindling around. Our biggest problem, your biggest problem, my biggest problem is sin. And then the biggest sin is to say, you know what, Jesus? I'm okay. I don't need your solution. I'm okay. I don't need you or want you. That's the biggest sin. So question for us this morning, do you think you have a problem? Do you have a problem? And if so, what is your problem? Our biggest problem is sin the Holy Spirit convicts of that. Secondly, though, if that's the biggest problem, what's the solution? It says there, convicts the world of sin, righteousness. The solution is righteousness. The solution is not your righteousness, okay? Our righteousness is at best a counterfeit. Counterfeit, when I think of counterfeit, Growing up in New Orleans, there were uh, parades, Mardi Gras. There were these doubloons. And when I was a kid, "Mom, mom, it's Saturday morning. we got to go out to all the garage sales and get the doubloons before my buddy down the street, Steven would get them. And I collected these doubloons. I put 100, 200 dollars into the collection. Sometimes I'd go to the dealers and actually pay for the multicolored doubloons. And so the doubloon price guide said, hey, the 100 or $200 that I'd put into it, it was worth like 500 or 600 A couple years ago, I told my children, you know what? This big doubloon collection I got, it's going to be worth a lot. After all these years, let's go look in the doubloon price guide. I couldn't find a doubloon price guide anywhere. It's like these things have become like counterfeit. They're worthless. So just choo, throw it out there. So a child once said afterwards, I still say they're cool because it's got the name of the parade on it and it's the year. I got some of these that are like from before I was born, they're like 60 years old. They should be worth something, but they're not. Okay, <laughs> that's my claim that they should be. They're not, I can't change that. I can go to Jesus and say, I'm righteous. You need to accept it. He'll say, no, filthy rags. The only righteousness you can claim is mine. That's the solution. The Holy Spirit convinces us of that. Then there's the consequence of judgment. The consequence of judgment. Judgment of whom? You see in the passage there that Jesus is one because he's defeated The devil, the prince of the power of the air, the prince of this world. Jesus defeated him, bound the devil, defeated him by his birth, death, and resurrection. Now, notice this. I think, personally, the the most powerful testimony in the Bible, the thief on the cross. Look at what the thief on the cross got in minutes. Okay? We're gonna get doctrinal here. Thief on the cross, the other thief says, he starts mocking Jesus. The thief turns to him and says, We're here because we deserve it. He doesn't, he doesn't deserve this. The thief gets the doctrine of sin, Hamardiology. Number one, he gets that. Number two, he gets the doctrine of righteousness. He doesn't commiserate with that thief and say, yeah, it stinks, we're here, we don't deserve this. He si- turns to Jesus right there. I can't get it, you've got it. He turns to he gets the doctrine of soteriology. Salvation is in him, not me, not him. He gets that Christology, my hope is not in somebody down there, it's in him, this guy next to me, Christology. All of that he gets, and then he says, remember me when you're in paradise. He gets eschatology. All of that, this guy gets that quickly. That is what the Holy Spirit could do even this morning. Even this morning, someone could be saved in the same way as the thief on the cross. What a powerful testimony. The second blessing, okay, we get the first blessing given the Holy Spirit convicts and convinces. Second blessing is that Jesus promises, this, he promises his disciples amidst tribulation that you're going to get the opposite of what it seems like at first. You got this sorrow, but great joy is coming. In verse 16, he points out, he says, a little while and you're going to see me no longer and again a little while and you will see me, okay, what's going on here? they're sad. They're sad. Their leader is leaving. We didn't sign up for this. We signed up to come with you, and you're going to be king. And what? Now you're leaving. But Christ points out, he says, yes, number one, I'm going to come back after the resurrection, and that's going to be proof that what I said was true. I'm raised from the dead. And he he also graciously answers the questions that they didn't ask. Kind of when Jonathan was reading, I could hear him kind of chuckle because they're they're talking amongst themselves. What are you saying? This, 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 that kind of thing. He's gracious. They didn't even ask him, but he answers the questions that they didn't want to ask him, and he does it through an illustration, one of childbirth. And so you see in verses twenty-one and twenty-two, Jesus gives this illustration of childbirth, and he says there that when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow. Maybe a better translation there is pain. Pain uh, when the hour has come. But doesn't that shift? Doesn't that shift? Remembering the sorrow now, but then the joy. The joy. We could ask Angel for, for sure about that. The pain to the joy. Just recently experiencing that. Worth it in the end. And Jesus is saying the sorrow, the pain... The persecution, the hatred, worth it in the end. Amidst all this teaching that Jesus is giving the disciples, he knows it takes time. I'm giving you a lot, but there's so much more. I'm giving you little bites. Little bites, you're going to get it along the way and later as the Holy Spirit reveals this to you more. So he knew it would take time. It's not like he could just jump straight to the differential equations. Child has, got just elementary student, they got to start with a little math, a little addition, subtraction, then some algebra, then some calculus, then some differential equations. They'll get there eventually. Jared, benching 350 or so, he didn't just go right to 350. He starts little by little and builds up to it. Jesus is being gracious in the way he unfolds this. For the disciples. They weren't ready for everything yet. The Holy Spirit would help later. So here's our, our thought with that. Just as the mother, just as the mother forgets the pain and the joy of the child, the martyr, the martyr forgets the agony and the glory of heaven. The glory of heaven. So Jesus shifts the focus then for the joy, the ultimate joy in heaven, but also the joy that comes through prayer. He weaves in prayer here. Why is he doing that or how is he doing that? In verses 23 and 24, he says, There'll be this day where you'll, you'll ask nothing of me. It's kind of this weird ask nothing in my name. Like, Wait, what, what's going on here? You're saying don't ask for things in your name? This is a little confusing. What's going on here? And your joy may be full. What's he saying here? He's saying, Once you realize, and once I've died and been resurrected, the game changes. Big deal. Big deal. You won't come to me in the same way, ignorantly, in a sense, now. You'll realize this is the God. Everything He said was true. He's raised from the dead. This is God. This is God. And I'm even going to show you that you now pray in accordance with my name. What does that mean? Pray in accordance with Jesus' name. Does that mean that you prayed a prayer, Thomas comes up here one day and prays a prayer and only says amen? Whoops, that one didn't make it through the ceiling. No good. No, that's not what that's saying. Praying in Jesus' name means a few things. It means that There's a trusting and a submitting to his lordship. In your name, Jesus, because you're king, I willingly trust and submit. It's not a limit to my prayers. Your will is my will. Your will is my will. Trust and submit to his lordship. And then that point about in accordance with his will, wanting his will, desiring his will, even before we know what it is. I'm praying your will, Jesus. Ah, I'm willing to accept it before I even know what it is. Even before I know what it is. And for an unbeliever, the most important prayer in Jesus' name would be that he would accept you, that he would receive you as a child out of darkness into light, into light. And then you would have this joy that he's talking about, that the pain turns to joy given by Christ. That's the second blessing. The third one, the third blessing we'll say is victory. The third blessing amidst all the tribulation is victory. And if you look at verse 28, what a beautiful verse that, that encapsulates the gospel. Verse 28, we're gonna say, here's the gospel in, in a circle. The gospel in a circle. Jesus came from the Father, okay? And as we go through this, think about what do I do in this? What's my part in this? Jesus comes from the Father. He's in perfect unity, love, Holy Spirit, God the Father, Jesus, He's got everything. But He comes. He comes from the Father, okay? Comes from heaven, comes to the earth, So we come around. Christ came to earth. Why? To rescue, to redeem you and me from the grasp of the devil, to defeat the devil. Second part of the gospel. Then Jesus says, I'm departing. I'm leaving. I'm leaving the world. How am I leaving the world? I'm leaving the world because I've defeated the the, the the prince of the power of the air. I've defeated the devil. I've defeated the one who had claim over you. And then I'm returning to the Father, vindicated, because everything I said I was going to do, I've done, I've told the truth, I've won, and I have the scars to show it forever. Forever Jesus has the scars a victory, that he won. The gospel in a circle. Now, Jesus' disciples think they understand. They think they understand. They say, ah, thanks. You're speaking plainly now. Now we know you came from God. We know you came from God. Okay? That's truth. That's like level 100 truth. Say, hey, we got it. We got it. It's kind of like a, the two-year-old son of a brain surgeon who puts on the scrubs of his dad. And he said, oh, now I'm ready to go do brain surgery. I get it all now. I'm like, mm. Jesus says, all right, yeah, you got the level 100, but there's level 400 quantum physics here you're not getting. Jesus is a realist, and, he, and he's gracious with them. And he says, do you now believe? Really? You think you got it? You think you got it? What has given you such confidence or overconfidence? Assurance is great. And one day we'll get to unpack that in a sermon. Assurance is great, okay? But overconfidence, you got to be careful of. He's wanting to unpack for them. What is your faith really in? And sometimes... Brothers and sisters, we struggle with this. How many times has it been, my faith in my faith is weak? My faith in my faith is weak. How's your faith in Christ? Faith in Christ, that's where it matters, the object of the faith, not how much faith I have. Faith in, as we sang, the rock of ages. Where is the faith fixed? It's on the rock, on Christ. Question for us this morning, do you now believe? Believe is a present tense verb in the Bible. John 3:16, that's a present tense verb. Do you now? Do you now believe? And then Jesus goes on in verse 32. He says, "Let me share Again, some more that sounds like bad news, but ultimately is good news because I'm going to be with you and I'm letting you know this in advance. It says, behold, the hour is coming. You're going to be scattered. You're going to leave me alone. Or I'm sorry, yes, you're going to leave me. You're going to leave me when I go to the cross. When we get done this walking along, when we get to the Garden of Gethsemane, you guys are going to scatter going to scatter. Even though I'm warning you, you're still going to do it. Christ is so gracious. So, so gracious. He knew their weaknesses. He knows our weaknesses. He knows past failures. He knows your future failures. Yet, He still loves you and moves towards you. And He closes with the best that He can give them. Verse 33, verse 33. Please, this week, read this. Memorize this. Immerse yourself in this. I've said these things to you that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will. You will have tribulation. But take heart. I've overcome the world. I've overcome the the world. Victory. Victory. Tribulation. Tribulation. The world will use it to try to tear you away. God uses it to make you stronger. And Jesus is saying, even though, here's the good news. Even though they scattered, Jesus stayed the course. Even though they proved faithless, Jesus proved faithful. Though they flee in shame, he takes their shame to the cross with him. Though the pits of hell Claimed victory when he was on the cross. Jesus proved, I've overcome. I've overcome the world by going to the cross. By going to the cross and being raised. You and I, our hope, our peace. We talked about our peace, our lives as Christians. Individually, as a church, is not based on the amount of your faith, amount of your courage, amount of your virtue. That you would earn for yourselves, that I would earn for myself, what we receive, what we receive from Christ. And then, how do we live that out? The time ahead will tell what's happening in the world. One of my favorite testimonies, some 1600 years ago, early church, the Emperor Licinius um, sends out an edict. He says, all the Roman army needs to pay sacrifice to me as the emperor. Roman army, they kind of knew there's, there's about 40 Christians amidst the army. Guys, just do it. Just do it. So you can still say Caesar's. Lord, just offer this sacrifice. Just, you'll live. If you don't, you're going to die. Forty Christians said no. We hold allegiance to Christ and him only. They were whipped, turned, no, we won't. It's winter time. So you're gonna, you're gonna die out there on that lake of ice. We're putting you, take off your armor, get out there, strip you down, lake of ice, you're gonna die. So the 40 soldiers out there on the lake of ice, basically singing a little ballad they sang together. 40 brave soldiers for Jesus, 40 brave soldiers for Christ will be true to our God and stare death in the face though we perish on this lake of ice. said, all you got to do is just come off the island right along this little walkway, go to the warm bathhouse, warm up, offer your sacrifice, you'll live. That's all you got to do. They keep singing. The jailer, Aglios is watching them, making sure all this. In the middle of the night... One of them does give in. He goes to the bathhouse. By the time he gets to the bathhouse, the, the radical change of temperature he kind of passes out and all that. 39. 39 kept singing. 39 brave soldiers for Jesus. 39 brave soldiers for Christ. Then the song changed. 40. Because Aglios, the jailer, saw that said, I'm in. I'm in. 40, though we perish on this lake of ice. We don't know what we're called to ahead, but we know. We know the one we follow. He wins. We win. Closing verse from John 20, that we've seen often, verse 31, reminds us But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for the immense, immense grace lavished on us. And even today, these three concrete, specific blessings, the Holy Spirit with us, coming alongside us, convicting, convincing. The joy that we have in our King, in our King who has one, who is revealing throughout time the results of His victory. Help us to be faithful. In His name we pray, amen. What we'll do now, if you would, is to affirm... Our world belongs to God. Um, I'll ask you to go ahead and stand for this. We'll rise and read these words together. Together, together. Say them together, along with me, not just me. The Spirit renews our hearts and moves us to faith, leads us into truth, and helps us to pray, stands by us in our need, and makes our obedience fresh. And vibrant, A little bit louder, the Holy Spirit, we're affirming the goodness of the Holy Spirit with us. God the Spirit lavishes gifts on the church to build up the body of Christ and to serve our neighbors. The Spirit gathers people from every tongue, tribe, and nation into the unity of the body of Christ. Anointed and sent by the Spirit, the church is thrust into the world ambassadors of God's peace, announcing forgiveness and reconciliation, proclaiming the good news of grace. Amen. Special treat, you can be seated. We'll have an opportunity now to hear from Sandra's good friend, Srikant, from FCA India. So I could say a lot more, but I'm not stealing their thunder. Y'all come on up.
1: Thank you, thank you. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. If I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, my name is Sandra Holtz. I do serve with Fellowship of Christian Athletes here in the greater Charlotte area, which comprises of 14 counties around here, including Lancaster and Chester and uh, 14 counties, quite a few schools that we're serving in. We're serving a lot of um, young athletes and coaches, um, sharing the gospel with them, engaging them with the gospel, equipping them with the word of God and then empowering them to disciple their peers. And so we have the opportunity to do that in Greater Charlotte. And as a member of Aspen Grove, it's my privilege and honor to partner with you um, as Aspen Grove as you help send me out to our local area here. And a byproduct of that, an extension of that, is we also um, partner with our teammates in India. as many of you know, the largest country in the world, 1.6 billion, I think. So, so your uh, investment into me also serves the largest country in the world in India. And so Srikanth is here uh, visiting us and receiving some additional training. And so we wanted him to worship with us this morning and we're inviting him to just introduce himself, his lovely family to you and hear just a brief little bit of what is going on in India that you're helping support.
2: Thank you so much, Ms. Sandra and Pastor Darrell, for having me here to share what God is doing uh, to the work of FCA in India. Um, I bring greetings to you all from India in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, it's, it's a privilege and honor to be with you all uh, this morning and worship the Lord uh, together as a family. Uh, my name is Srikant Veleti. Uh, I'm on staff with FCA since 2018. Uh, currently I'm serving as director of FCA India and uh, I'm married to beautiful wife Swati and we're blessed with three wonderful children, Joshua, Stuti, and Emmanuel. Uh, so 13, 12, and 2. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so young family, so but God has been faithful. So I come from an Orthodox Hindu family. My parents are first generation Christians. Uh, My mom accepted Lord when I was nine years old, and for a woman coming from an orthodox family and accepting Jesus from other faith is is just impossible. Uh, It was uh, tough for her uh, as she has to undergo persecution and tribulation from her own family, cut off from family for 10 years, and even my father was abusing her for two years. After two years of struggle, God touched my father's life. He gave his life to Jesus. He went to Bible seminary. They both become missionaries and currently serving as church pastors in India. So we are thankful what God has done. And I gave my life at the age of 15, came into full-time ministry uh, at the age of 24. And since then, I'm involved in sports ministry back in India, reaching coaches and athletes, unreached young people and local communities through the medium of sports. Uh, I just want to give a little bit of uh, background of what's going on in India. We just heard uh, the, uh, the message on the tribulation and the uh, persecution that we see in uh, many parts of the world and it's just horrific I mean it, it has not come on the news or on social media uh, because they shut down internet for the past six months in Manipur where 500 churches have been burnt and more than 200 people killed. One ethnic group, Killing the other ethnic group is most of Christian people. So sixty thousand people displaced from their homes; their homes burnt, and um, it's just you know uh, spreading to other parts of the country in India. In the midst of this tribulation and this persecution, God is so faithful, and we praise God for His hand and direction. Uh, uh, to see the ministries growing as our 40 leaders, we have 40 staff in India, uh, spread across India, and God is continuing to use them as we continue to engage, equip, empower coaches and athletes. Um, in the uh, back home countries, and we have seen life-changing impact this year in 2023. 825 people coming to Christ through FCA huddles and camps, and we just praise God for what God is doing. And we can't thank enough for uh, Aspen growth Church coming alongside with Sandra, Miss Sandra, uh, here in Charlotte, and extending your prayers and generous support to International India. So I'm so grateful that God has brought us together. I just want to conclude with asking you to pray for India in the midst of you know persecution and tribulation. Our staff will not go, go weary, grow weary, but they will draw strength from the one who overcome the world. And they will continue to be witness of the gospel and strive towards the vision that God has laid on our hearts to see the world transformed by Jesus Christ through the influence of coaches and athletes. Thank you so much.
1: Amen. 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 Every tribe, tongue, and nation. Amen. So uh, Srikanth will be available after the service. If anyone has any questions or would like to uh, give him a word of encouragement, we'll be hanging around after the service as well. Thank you so much. And one little oh, thing.
0: Uh, we heard a request for prayer. You know, So often we, we hear that and we don't do anything. Stop we need to pray. So, Lord, wow. I hadn't heard this testimony, and I am, I'm moved. Um, Hearing about Srikant's parents and your work of grace there, and then as he said, there truly is so much hardship, tribulation, trials, suffering, pain going on. So, we thank you for his ministry, his family's ministry. Lord, equip them uh, all the more. Give them great success in your name. Pray this in your name, Jesus.
1: Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you.